Blog Talk Radio. insurance that's 
that's that's correct and right for your situation. Again, do not hesitate to give me a call directly so I can answer whatever questions and concerns you may have. Again, I can be reached directly, 773-881-9555. That's how you can reach me outside of this conversation. Folks, again, we come to you each and every Sunday, 5.30 Central Standard Time, to raise various questions, to raise various questions that um, that's important that we feel that's important and we all should be talking about, thinking about, and having a meaningful discussion surrounding. Last week, folks, um, if you did not join last week's conversation, I certainly um, encourage you to go back to our website, go to the um, the feed, um, go back to the feed, and you can um, listen to last week's broadcast. We raised the question last week, um, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? That's the discussion we had last week, folks. So we dealt with the question of whose responsibility is it to address the concerns of employment, education, and violence in communities of color. Um, those of you who've been following the news, you know um, of the recent initiative by our president, President Obama, to address concerns of education among males, among males and communities of color. So we raised the question, am I my brother's keeper? In fact, that's the name of um, the recent initiative. And we, again, we, we, we ask, whose responsibility is it to address these concerns? Whether or not these initiatives, um, whether or not they will work over the long haul, whether or not this is um, an exercise in futility, if, if you will. Um, so certainly we strongly suggest that you go back and listen to last week's conversation, and you can continue to add to the conversation by going to the MTAS page and hear some of the, um, the, the discussion outside of the broadcast. Folks, again, 718-508-9533, 718-508-9533 is the number you can call to weigh in on today's conversation. But before we get off to today's conversation, those of you who are familiar with the MTAS broadcast, you know that we strongly encourage the importance of reading, reading. That's right, we strongly encourage the importance of reading and um uh, reading along with us as we recommend various books, as we engage in thought-provoking conversation. Hopefully we're providing you guys with material or suggesting materials that um, that we all should be reading that um, you will find meaningful, meaningful dis- meaningful for discussions, meaningful for um, uh, uh, for various reasons, to address some of the social ills that exist within um, our community and societies in general. Um, just this morning I picked up a book. It was all I've actually um, I actually picked up this book roughly about a month ago. I I was familiar with it. I heard it down. I heard about this book down throughout the years. A book that's written by a gentleman by the name of Victor Frankel. He was a psych, psychiatrist. Um, he was a psychiatrist, um, and he gives he talks about his account in the Nazi concentration camp. And um, the title of this particular book is Man's Search for Meaning. This book sold over 2 million copies, believe it or not, Man's Search for Meaning. You folks might be familiar with this uh, particular book, but if not, um, it's certainly, from what I've read thus far, is a very, very interesting read. Again, he gives his account of his experience in a Nazi concentration camp, and he talks about the various distinctions that he was able to make during this particular period of his life. And uh, one of the, one of the quotes that I gathered from um, the introduction of this book here's one of the things he said. Here he says, "To live is to suffer." He says, "To live is to suffer." But to find meaning in that suffering is to survive. To find meaning in that suffering is to survive. So very interesting um, book. It should be a very interesting read. It should be a very interesting read. So certainly, folks, again, to weigh in on today's conversation, certainly dial into 718-508-9533 718-508-9533 folks today we're going to be raising we're going to be raising the question we're going to be raising the question today of how can we rebuild the black family if nearly 90% that's right you heard it if nearly 90% of black males by 8th grade are not reading at grade level 
if 90% of black males by eighth grade are not reading at grade level? Folks, that's the question that's being raised today here on MTAS Radio. Again, let's try it one more time. How can we rebuild the black family if nearly 90%, wow, 90% of black males by eighth grade are not reading at grade level, according to the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Folks, I want you folks to think about that. Again, last week we talked about Am I My Brother's Keeper, whether or not programs and initiatives like this, um, what type of effect and impact that will have on communities of color. And now you make the connection or you really think about what's being said now, what's being reported, again, by the National I'm sorry here, I lost my my spot here, Uh, was being reported by various educational organizations. Again, that's the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Um, If 90% of black males by eighth grade are not reading at grade level, what type of impact do we expect for programs like Am I My Brother's Keeper to have if, in fact, we're struggling and some of those fundamental areas. Again, I want to raise the question that I want you folks to think about. How can we begin to build a black family if this is something um, that we're going to have to contend with as time progresses? Something to think about, folks. Again, 718-508-9533. I want you folks to really ponder that question. It's a real concern. I was reading an article earlier today that actually it was it was some really astounding facts that I came. I'm trying to find it right now. Don't worry about it, folks. I'm going to post. Um, I'm I'm going to post many of these articles. In fact, I'm going to post two of them right after today's broadcast, so you guys could see and read for yourself what's taking place in education among um, African American males. Here in this here in this country, here's here's some other stats. Here it says here in in 2002, 2002, 13 percent of black eighth graders read at grade level, compared with 39 percent of whites. Let's try that again. In 2002, 13 percent of black eighth graders read at grade level, compared with 39 percent of whites. A gap of 26 percentage points last year last year folks 2013 16 percent of black students were at or above grade level compared to 44 percent of whites a difference of 28 percentage points and this gap is widening folks this gap is widening and here's what this article says worse Nearly 90%, that's what you heard me report here, folks, um, nearly 90% of black males in eighth grade did not read at grade level last year. Here's a question that they're raising. Will they catch up? Think about that, guys. Will, Will they catch up? Will they drop out? As we see many black males here in the city of Chicago, up to 56% here in the city of Chicago are dropping out. Or will they be graduated, still unable to read well enough for a career or college? Folks, those are some of the problems that we're having, some of the concerns that we're having um, by way of education in the African-American community. Folks, I'm going to go to the phone line shortly, and I'm going to put out here again for you guys to follow me in the conversation here. How can we rebuild? The black family, if 90, nearly 90% of black males by eighth grade are not reading at grade level. We talk about the importance of family. We talk about the importance of marriage. We talk about the um, um, how... Um, how um, not productive it is to engage in a process of single parenting, but where does the issue of literacy come into play? Where does the issue of literacy come into play? Folks, 718 508 
1-800-508-9533 is the number to call to get your views and opinions heard. I'm going to go to the phone line right now. I see someone called me from 617 area code. Caller, are you there? I see another caller. I don't know, maybe I lost 617. So if you're still out there and you want to weigh in, I see you press um, the question mark. Definitely call back in, and we'll get you back on as soon as we see you show back up on the switchboard. Caller 312, are you there? Um, I'm here. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'm good. How are you doing? Hello. Doing Hello, I am here. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Well, I appreciate you calling in. Uh, I, pre- I appreciate you uh, for joining us on today's com- for today's conversation as we raise the question of how can we rebuild the black family? If 90% of black males by eighth grade are not reading at grade level, what's your thoughts about that? And that's according to the National Assessment of Educational uh, Progress. And why don't you just introduce yourself as well before we get off into today's conversation. Oh, this is Stephanie. I'm calling in to weigh in on the conversation. I oh, appreciate you. Appreciate you for calling each and every week. And uh, there's some other folks joining us for today's discussion. We're going to get them in shortly. I believe we were having some, uh, or maybe they dropped off. So 617, certainly call back in. We saw you online. But Stephanie, why don't, why don't you weigh in on um, the question that's being raised today on MTAS Radio about the importance of literacy and, and your thoughts about how do we begin to address uh, family matters, family matters, if, in fact, that's what's taking place among black males uh, by way of education at uh, a very critical point, um, that being eighth grade. If they're not even reading at grade level at that particular point, what's your thoughts about that? Let's go further than that. Um, I had a discussion earlier today. It's not grade. The most the most um, premier point that we really need to focus on is third grade. Um, and the reason why third grade is so important, I told someone this, that and I was made aware of this maybe a couple of years ago from a really good friend of mine who actually went back to school to get her master's in education. And she she properly chose to become a third grade teacher, or really a second grade and third grade teacher. And her reasons would be not because she preferred younger children, but she realized that at third grade that boys and girls, but mainly little boys, they take they stop teaching reading at that age. I mean, at that grade level. And the reason why they, they, beyond third grade, they don't get into the idea of actually teaching the children how to read. After that, they get into more language arts and a couple other things. But it tells you a lot. If you could take third grade test scores and actually predict that these children, or this is how many, predict how many prisons you're going to build in the next 20 years. So in 10 years, that's a child who's eight years old. And you're telling me in 10 years that because this child is not reading at grade level or anything of that matter at the age of it, by, by eight years old or eight, eight, um, third grade, this is how many prisons you're going to build. That in itself says a lot. So even when they get to eighth grade, you can almost say it's somewhat too late. And I know it sounds a bit, you know, pessimistic, but it is because now you're taking a child who's going into their later years of a, preceding adulthood going into college when they can barely even read a newspaper that is written to a seventh grade level. So they're already at a point where it's hard for them to only get up, so it's not even guaranteed by the time they get into their senior year of high school that they're going to be reading at a 12th grade level or beyond that. So the thing is, is beyond eighth grade, let's go further than that because it's very important to understand that they're using this to actually have um, corporations put money into building big business. So it's more of an economic issue more than just a, a, social, a social issue that, you know, because they're looking at this money makers and how they're going to predict their financial stability in the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, certainly uh, I see your point. Certainly I think it's a concern uh, for um, individuals, uh, individual that's engaged in the process of, of educating 
um, children across this country, and certainly it's a concern for corporation. I mean, you talk about corporation who um, deals with uh, profitability and, and and having a market for their their product. You're talking about a consumer base, so um, certainly I, I see where issues of this does become a concern for everyone. For everyone, not certainly we're talking about black males, and a lot of times we raise the importance of uh, many of these concerns relative to the African-American community, but what does it mean uh, to corporation? What does it mean to um, communities of color um, as time progresses? Certainly, so I hear your point. Um, I, hear, I hear the, I, I, I certainly understand the point that you're making um, in raising that whole, whole um, idea about corporation, and it does become an issue of economics when you think about it from that side. And when you think about it in that sense, um, you have to have a market, right? I have a product. I have to have a market to sell to. So if, in fact, you have uh, black males that are not reading um, at an eighth grade level, um, uh, at grade level by eighth grade, you're talking about the the effects that that will have on them economically, the effects that that will have on the black family, we talk about suitability in terms of um, black women finding suitable husband. All of those things begin to tie in when you uh, when you really think about these um, subject matters or, or these subject matter very intently, or the question that's being raised here. And uh, so I think you make a very interesting point, Steph. And I want to uh, raise another question for you. Oftentimes we we talk about, and you've heard us talk about it here on this show, about the injustices of our criminal justice system, right? Um, uh, the disparity that exists between uh, that existed and still exists with some of the sentencing where um, drugs and things of that nature are, um, are concerned. We talk about the injustice of our criminal justice system and the various bi- the various biases that exist. But when you consider what we were just talking about, ninety percent of black males by eighth grade not reading at at grade level. What about in the injustice in our educational system? When you, when you consider the liter- literacy among black males, can, do you see that as being an injustice in education? Um, yes, definitely. I mean, people make us enemy more of a conspiracy theorist in this point in thinking that things are designed to fail and for you to fail. But it's something that I see just in the community I lived in and grew up in. I mean, for years my mom paid for it for me, and up until eighth grade, she was paying for education until I went to high school, and I ended up, because of financial reasons and things of that matter, we decided that um, public high school probably would be best financially. I ended up going to a high school that might not necessarily have been academically ranking like Morgan Park right now, and as of um, maybe young, any other school, which is probably one of high schools in the, in the country as we speak, and you see the differences between what is offered to those who live in a community like Inglewood as far as classes, which you are offered, quote, unquote, the basic education needs, math, science, um, English, and then you may have your, quote, unquote, gym, um, physical education, those things, which are, quote, unquote, the classes you need to fulfill the requirement to graduate, correct? So now let's go to a school like in the center city, probably maybe about 20 miles away, they are taking classes like political science, economics. Um, I can just imagine, um, quote, unquote, even some type of um, um, political law classes, things of that matter that kind of open their minds up to other things that we wouldn't possibly necessarily see unless we went to a university that allows us to have classes of that matter. So you can see the disparity between what certain kids are getting and what certain kids are being offered. Now the question is, they say, oh, well, you know, if the kids had it at, at Robeson, they wouldn't take the classes. Well, how do you know that? I remember when I remember when I was in high school and we tried to get an ACT class. And I remember it was almost like teeth to even get someone in or even a teacher to stop in their day to help us prepare, prepare for a test that can pretty much govern the rest of our lives where we will be doing for the rest of our lives educationally. And it was amazing, but so my mom took it upon herself to physically pay money for me to take classes that pretty much can allow me to have a bit of an edge, but that's the difference, though. So we have to stop it and understand and realize that we can't always use it as an excuse to say, oh, it's a horrible school, so I can't 
necessarily feel that this is the reason, the reason why they make it in the world, but we also can come to the conclusion that there is some disparity and there is some as far as the quote-unquote the, how education is spread out throughout the city and also around the country. It's not, and education is not, it's not equal. It's not. It's just not now. Equal meaning that they gave you everything they say you're going to get. You're absolutely correct. You got all the requirements you need to graduate and get the education that they say you needed to have. But beyond that, to go beyond that point, you were not given. And it's really not their job to give it to you. They just choose to give it to certain people who they feel is eligible and who should get it in the first place. So what I hear you saying is although one um, make it through many of these school environments, the outcome is not the same. Um, and I think that's one of the points that this gentleman raised in this particular article by way of uh, certainly some of, these, some of these individuals, they will be graduated, right, but right. will they be able to attend college? And if they do attend college, uh, what type of colleges will they be able to attend? Uh, will they... Will they have the skill set, if you will, or will they have the academic training to actually uh, have a successful college career? So those become many of the concerns, and certainly even my personal experience, certainly um, going to a similar high school as you, uh, me attending Paul Robeson High School. And I remember, I remember in 1994 uh, in the New York Times, um, and, I'll, and I'll post that article to my Facebook page as well if I can find it. I'm sure I'll be able to I remember find that it. year. I remember when the article, article came out and the reporter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. In fact, the reporter, um, Isabella Wilkins, actually she just recently released a, 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 um, a, a recent book. In fact, I want to pick that up as well. But uh, she wrote an article entitled uh, Paul Robeson High School, if you remember, uh, where 500 mm-hmm. um, freshmen began, right? And by year 1994, mm-hmm. I think it was only 150 remaining hmm. graduates. And um, I think what was missing from the article uh, was a lot of the reason behind uh, why you why you found that level of um, dropout among the students, you know, and why many of them did not even decide to go to college or whether or not they were prepared for college to begin with. But um, certainly, I hear exactly what you're saying by way of the educational outcome. Although even 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 when you consider the 150 that actually graduated. Um, what were they prepared to do beyond that particular point? Were they prepared for college? I, I, I mean, was I prepared for college? Certainly I had to have some remedial courses to close the gap, um, some of the things I had missed as well. So, um, so when I look at these stats, in 2014, we're still dealing with some of the same concerns that I may or may not have been um, acutely aware of as being a um, younger individual, but we're still dealing with some of the same concerns. Ninety, Nearly 90% of black males by eighth grade are not reading at grade level, so um, it's almost like what has really changed, what has really changed. So I want to... Um, I'm listening to what you're saying. I, I want to ask you this here. When you consider, right, when you consider the numbers that are being reported by the National Assessment of Educational Progress last year, 16% of black students, 16% of black students were at or above grade level compared to 44% whites. Is this reflective of the failure of our educational system? We talked about the New York Times article that was written back in 1994. And I'm gonna I'm gonna repost that because you almost you almost think it was written today, right? Is this reflective of the failure of our educational system, or does this attitude, or is is it reflective of the attitude of students and parents? Does that influence this number as well? Even going back, you say you remember the article. I mean, was that article reflective? of a failure of the educational system, or how much would you say that, nah, John, you know, you have to think about we played a role in that too. Uh, our parents played a role in that too. What's your take on that? Is that, if you understand what I'm saying here? Um, the thing is, is that, like I said, I remember the entire, because I was actually quite, I was friends with a, pretty much everybody that was being, that was in that that was being followed or pretty much being um, the subject of the article. And the thing is that what I do understand is is that it did what I just see over and over and over again. I see that we already know what the problems are. 
It's the same thing I saw in watching Chicago Land on CNN just recently. Um, they have a series that um, our friend our, um, Robert, um, I cannot remember his name. I just lost his name, but he's an actor, of course. But he did a uh, series, an eight series, eight um, what's name series of Chicago Land, and talking about the different things in Chicago. And the first thing that it is quite sad. And I heard a friend of ours says it said just the other day. It actually the way it pushed the black community out there is like we just have massive issues and you did not see anything other than crime and drugs in our community. And you didn't see any of the positivity outside of us trying to survive. That's where we all were going to be. Like, oh, you survived. You couldn't have not necessarily grew up in the suburbs in a nice two-parent household and lived your life as if everything. No, what you did was you had to go through drug territories. Now you had to survive, and you made it. That is the thing that is pushed out about the black community, and that's what that article kind of portrays. You have individual who single mother. Yes, he, my friend Omar, and they thank me, Omar. He was a valedictorian, and he grew up with a, well, not single mother. He did have mother and father, but the thing is, is that he necessarily. Um, best of communities, whatever, but yet was a highly intelligent individual, and yet he survived. That whole idea that we only have that is what is portrayed about us. So when the young lady pushed out that article, and yes, I respect her as the writer as she was or she is, and I respect the fact that she wanted to highlight some things, but about that is if all black children are surviving in this world. Is like we're all surviving. No one can say that we are possibly living in a society that some of us live in one one community, another another of us live in another community, and we are all subject of our environment. We are all going to be subject of what our environment puts on us and how we handle that environment. Uh, what we, that really should be the what the way we pretty much are exhibit and um, illustrate it. Um, not all black children live in horrible communities. Not all black children have a single parent. Not all black children have parents that have not graduated high school I mean, or college. The thing is we had a lot of people who actually had parents who had college degrees, but that wasn't talked about. All they talked about was the people who lived in the projects, those who were cutting here in the, in, um, in the boys' um, room um, to, to make a little extra money. You had boys, people coming through gang territory, but they didn't talk about all those other things that everybody else can relate to. And that's the problem sometimes when you do that because all people see is that. They don't see anything else. So it's the, it's the word that um, – that um, our friend Mr. Um, Drew always, Andrew always says that paradigm that you're creating that only people see that particular paradigm where there are several different paradigms. And there's right. different paradigms and everybody don't live in those paradigms. Everybody lives their own paradigm. Like myself, I may live in a community of Inglewood, but my paradigm is totally different from Inglewood. So I'm not an example of my, I'm not, you see me, you wouldn't see Inglewood, you see me. But, of course, when somebody say here, after speaking to me and finding out I'm from Inglewood, what's the first thing? They say, oh, my God, I thought you was from the suburbs. Oh, my God, I just really would have never thought you was from that place. Oh, my God, you survived. How all of a sudden I went from being just like you to, oh, my God, you survived. I can't believe you're from there. Wait a minute. What are you trying to put on the people from community, from Inglewood? Are you putting a negative paradigm on them because that's what your idea and what is portrayed about Inglewood? No. Everybody lives in different paradigms. So a young lady from the, from New York, I commend her for the writing, but at the same time it did not put Robeson nor the students nor the people that she was highlighting in a good light. And that's pretty much how black community, how the black community, especially black education, is put out there. And the thing is is that, like I mentioned the other day, why all of a sudden when there's a high-profile murder happen to a school, all of a sudden everybody want to do is dump a bunch of money into that community and a bunch of money into that school and just that school. I can count how many times we've had children die every day, and all of a sudden, what happened to the money? Oh, I'm sorry, but that went viral, so we have to help this community. We have to help that school. But there's plenty of other schools out there. So it just, it puts things, it, it just puts things in a different perspective and find out the disparity of how things are pretty much um, taking care of how things are done and the fact that we do this for a while to that die down and then we move on to the next place. And then we can say, okay, we can pat ourselves on the back and say, okay, we did something. No, I follow you. I follow you. Seven one eight five zero eight. 
888-985-0889-533. Folks, we're having a very important conversation today dealing with the question, how can we rebuild a black family if 90%, you heard it, 90% of black males by 8th grade are not reading at grade level? That is the question that is being raised today. I'm going to go back to the phone lines here. I see a 314 area code. I think um, I think they must have talked you up. Is this my good friend, Drew? Uh, yes, it is. How are you, guys, sir? I'm doing well. A little, a, doing a little well. under the weather, but I'm here. All right. <laughs> well, that's the, that was the hard part. Well, you accomplished the hard part. You're here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're having an important conversation today. Um, you might have heard Stephanie uh, invoke your name there in her uh, response. We're talking about. Yeah, how are you doing, Stephanie? Hi, Drew. We're talking about, Drew, we're talking about how do you rebuild a black family if 90% of black males by 8th grade are not reading at grade level. What's your thoughts about that by way of literacy among black males here in this country? Well, I look at the the literacy component part of of how you put together the uh, question. It's just being a a side effect of uh, the overall problem. And the overall problem, again, we still have to get back to the very foundation of any group's success is your family, is your family structure and what, how you develop your offspring to enter into the world that you're living in. Uh, young men, you could probably track all types of uh, statistical data that will infer a lot of the various things. You could probably track the young ladies, and they're underperforming in, in, in areas. They're woeful in other areas. Everything, about, everything that, that you're discussing now about trying to get family back together, that's all um, a part of a value system. Again, we keep coming back to that very simple word, that value system which develops the context of what what family means to your, you and your group. What you practice today is your existing paradigm, so to speak, since we've used the word paradigm today. But, again, but, but I'd like to go back just to talk about a little bit of what Stephanie said real quick because, and, and I see this quite a bit because, I, again, I'm all about trying to let's solve the problem if you want to solve the problem. Certainly, we can point to all of this statistical data. We can uh, lament about all of the things that show African Americans in bad light. We could talk about the the system that that we currently live in. We could talk about the curriculum that the state set for Chicago public schools up in Chicago or any other school. We can discuss all of those things, but I always ask people, reflect back maybe 100 years ago when African Americans didn't have a pocket pen or when to throw it out of. We can go back to schools in the Washington, D.C. area where African-American children had lived in abject poverty, but they were prideful. They had a value system that told them that you are going to excel no matter what the circumstances are. We can go to New York and go to PS91 school. I tracked those numbers a long time ago to see how the young people performed at that school. They didn't have all the state-of-the-art books. They, didn't, they, they had paint peeling from the classroom uh, uh, a wall. They had intermittent ages all throughout classrooms, things of that nature. But you know what they did, John? You know what they did, Stephanie? They performed at some of the highest academic levels that you could track relative to whites in those particular boroughs in New York, things of that nature. Those African-American kids performed. In D.C. they perform. I can name a whole lot of places where African-Americans perform when given the opportunity no, no matter what the backgrounds or, or whatever the negatives are. And we can't, and I would say this, and I'll go online and I'll, I'll challenge anyone, that we can't compare the racism that our grandparents experienced during those particular time periods to what exists now. This is Shangri-La compared to what African-Americans dealt with, but African-Americans performed. And they performed because they had a value system that said, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what evils beset us, we are going to perform. We are going to have children when we're married, and we're going to, put, we're going to make sure our children perform at the highest ultimate level. So, therefore, whatever we're experiencing now, with curriculums being short, whatever the, the bus may not get there on time, lunch wasn't totally fulfilled, think back to when they didn't have a lunch. Think about when they didn't get a bus. They had to walk miles to school, and then they shared books with everyone else, but they performed at high levels. So anyone who wants to complain about 
the, the, the unjust the injustices of today relative to what happened back then, and then you can compare the outcomes and results. I'm saying you better, we we need to take a better look. But that's I'll leave it right there. Well, I agree. I mean. No, I'm sorry. Why don't you respond there, Stephanie? It's okay. No, I just want to respond. I, and that's why I was saying when, when I was in high school and we were trying to get an ACP class, one thing I learned from my mom is, like, you can't, you, can't, you can't force people to give you what you feel you need because they may not feel it's important, so you do it yourself. So she took the time where she felt that it was important for me to do and to pay the extra money and do what she has to do in order to and you, it has to be has to come from home because you're expecting other people to, to actually be responsible for your own well being. And sometimes you cannot do that. So it's just all about the parents and if you have the parents who have the to actually think they want something better for their children, that they would actually do something extra outside of the school, expecting the school not to necessarily do everything for them, but for them to do it for them themselves. Great point, Stephanie. I'm listening to what you're saying, and I heard what Drew said um, in his earlier remarks there. And um, and maybe you can pick back up on um, this question, Stephanie. Um, listen to what Drew is saying um, versus what do you think was understood then relative to now? Because today, today as we sit here and we have this conversation, 56% of black male students here in Chicago drop out of drop out of high school. Why is this the case? And Drew talked about the um, the injustices that the injustice that blacks experience uh, back in the day, if you will. But yet we persevere. Yet we still performed at high levels, and we overcome. We overcame um, the various various challenges that we that were uh, we were confronted with. What is it that we understood then, those parents understood then, that maybe we lost something in the process of us getting to where we are today? Because right now, again, 56% of black males, male students here in Chicago, drop out of high school. Is it understood by parents and students alike that the economy of the future would not view decisions like this in favorable terms? Oh, okay. Um, well, my thing is I remember I had a conversation. I actually had the honor of having a conversation with a very well-known historian here in Chicago named Timmy O'Black. Um, um, most people, if you ever know, he's a historian. He also teaches in the city of Chicago. Um, he's also a professor, and he's written, a couple, he's written two books on the history of um, blacks in the Chicago area as well as blacks, period. And he, he was born and he was uh, moved here from um, Alabama in 19... 19- so you can just imagine what he saw from the time he got here or just the time he was born from now and he's still here being speaking when he does. And he said something that was quite interesting. He said regardless regardless of their position as far as black people in this community in Chicago, which is one that's most segregated now, just imagine how segregated it was then. One thing that he's always noticed, they, they had parents who never even finished the third grade. If they did finish the third grade, they didn't go beyond that. But yet every one of their children graduated high school. They made sure that their kid, he said to this day, he still meet with those who are still alive at a place where they actually talk about the, and how education was so important, how they get together, because they, that was an honor to be able to say their parents were, if there was a problem, their parent, their mother was there, and guess what, not their mother was there, but their father was there. So you had that support of what they need to be able to to, um, to actually um, to, um, to be successful. The other thing is, is that they understood the importance of it. And the importance of it, even though they might not have experienced it themselves, they understood the importance of it and what they needed in order to survive and needed what they and what they needed to be able to make it in this society. And that's something that we don't have right now. You're talking about 1919 to 2014. That's a big gap and big difference is generational change. Over, uh, like I said, time and time over. But the thing is, what happened between now and then? the mentality of the importance of education because I guarantee in 1920, 1921, from that point on, education wasn't as sophisticated. And if it was, she said they were doing stuff like calculus in 
seventh grade, and they had white teachers. And the thing is, is that, wait a minute, what's going on here? These teachers feel that they can't teach these children or that was it the educational um, required of the students back then that they put in regardless, in their mind, they'll do it anyway, but they're not beyond. So that was the curriculum. Now the curriculum has now changed, and parents actually encourage their children to go beyond what they were told or what was considered basic. They said, don't just do basic, do more than just basic. And so now you don't have parents who fight for that anymore. You have parents who are okay with their children going to graduating eighth grade and being excited that they just went to college. I appreciate what you're saying, Steph. I want to get... I appreciate what you're saying. I, I certainly understand the importance of uh, what's being stated as well. I want to get Drew's take on uh, the same question. Drew, I, I hear you talk about how uh, black parents responded uh, back then under very uh, under harsher conditions. Uh, what do you think? What would you attribute that response to um, in terms of how they value education and how they push their children even beyond what they have the ability to do? What is it that they understood that this current generation does not understand? Again, 56% of black males here in Chicago, I'm pretty sure in your, in your, in your state, um, you might have some similar numbers, if not as high. What do you think that those folks understood then that parents and black folks today don't get? Certainly the economy of the future would not view decisions like this in favorable terms. What's your take on that? What, is, what, what was understood? What, what, what was understood, and, and the way you phrased the question, I can give you a simple answer, and then I can elaborate beyond that. They were accountable. They were accountable, and they were responsible. Very simple. We like to get people who like to take philosophic positions on things. They run on and they discuss things at length, at nauseam at some point, to discuss about all the inputs, things of that nature that influence people. What people understood back then is that they are responsible. It's just that simple. We stop, and what I would humbly suggest to anyone, stop looking for Superman or someone to come save you. They're not going to save you. The only person who's going to save you is your mom and dad, and you have that fundamental structure as your baseline as a group of people, you'll do fantastic. You'll fare well in this type of system. But as long as all these boogeymen are behind the bushes and we're constantly looking at them as being the reason that we can't perform, the reason that your child is performing at, at below level, test grade, things of that nature, and you can blame it on someone else, people now take the easy way out. Back then, no one took the easy way out. They said it was me. I'm responsible. And even if I know that there's racism, or which we knew, and it can't compare. And that's the other thing. What happened back then can't compare to what's happening today. And the other part, and this probably be another show or something that I can elaborate more on during about the 1960s where you see a tremendous gap and a transformation with general, uh, philosophically within the so-called African-American community, you had uh, people within the African-American community who made money off of the fact that they would sow these seeds and put these thoughts into the mindset of this generation, these generations that exist now, that you're not accountable, that it's someone else's responsibility and problem that we are underperforming. Whereas back then, fresh out of Jim Crow and everything else that you can name, the atrocities were relentless. A black man had his masculinity emasculated from him, but he still performed to the best of his ability and was around his family to ensure that his family could get the best, even though he was being denied everything. And we want to compare that to today. All they were were responsible mothers and fathers, bottom line. Interesting point, interesting point. Seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three seven one eight five zero eight nine five three three. Folks, we're having a very important conversation dealing with dealing with the question. How can we rebuild the black family if 90%, nearly 90% of black males by eighth grade are not reading at grade level? If nearly 90% of black males are not reading at grade level? Folks, I'm going to go back to the phone line and see another caller calling in from 773. Caller, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you. We appreciate you joining the discussion. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts about today's subject matter? 
Well, John, um, and this is Narissa, and I just wanted to say I've been listening, uh, and I agree with with Drew and with uh, Stephanie in this regard. Um, it really does have to start at home. I think one of the biggest issues I see with uh, learning and understanding from children, I see today an extreme sense of entitlement. I agree when uh, – when Drew speaks of just being responsible, if you ask parents, and this is just one example, to come up to the school about Johnny's grades prior to Johnny failing, no one responds. But by the time the report card comes out, we have people showing up that are really uh, – expressing themselves in almost a violent manner, but there was no responsibility. Many times teachers, educators, they do reach out. They do express that these things are happening, but that parent involvement is not there. And then it goes back to wanting to pass the book, wanting to place the blame. It's always somebody else's fault. And in that, even in, in addition to that, in the rearing of the children, they are being reared with this extreme sense of entitlement as if they really don't have to do much. Mom and dad or mom or whoever is going to go up to the school can go up and clown, and they're going to make it okay, and it's not okay. You still can't read. Mm. No one is trying to tell them that they need or teach them that they need to take responsibility for themselves. Um, I'll give you an example, and I hope this, this makes sense and it's relative, and I'll try to make it as brief as possible. When I was a little girl, my father told me a story of how he and some of his friends, who were the highest in their school, were put in a competition against a white school. It was a physics competition. And they were given the books to study. They had a month to study, and he talked about how hard they studied. And when they got to the competition, they couldn't get any answer right, although they thought they had everything right. But the books they had were 20 years older than the books of their white counterparts. Now, this goes back to what Drew says in that they had that experience, and it hurt them. But the next year, they didn't get the books from the schools. They went and found all resources possible so that they could come out number one, and the next year they won. It's wow. that. It, that's personal. I can't tell you that my father told me that his mother and father told him to go. That was personal. That's their innate desire to want to learn and be a better person. Now, did that come from a, a home experience and from a, their parents uh, trying to develop them? I agree. I believe it does. But I just don't see that today, and I don't want to make a blanket statement like this, everybody. There are some kids who excel, but the other thing that happens is those kids who are working on an average level are then deemed supreme. And they're doing the bare mm. minimum because the majority isn't even working at an average level. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, right. I just want to put that out there to say, I mean, I, I'm, I'm jumping all around, but I'm just throwing various things in there, and then I want to come right back to say that I do believe that the family unit is critical. Until something happens where we come back together and, and really focus on that, I don't see how much of what we speak about is going to be addressed. Mm. Interesting point, uh, Narissa. I appreciate you calling in. I appreciate uh, what I hear you what, what I hear you espouse. Uh, it's funny. I someone had released a Facebook picture um, during the time of um, the holiday season, and they and the picture showed Black Friday. I believe it was Black Friday, right? They show all these African American families lined up to get these deals on all kind of electronics, and then they coupled that with a picture of the PTA meeting. And you know, the picture of the uh, PTA meeting, the classroom was empty, but the picture of Black Friday, everyone was lined up to purchase all these electronics. And um, and a lot of times, it's interesting to hear you say what you uh, what you're saying that sometimes. Some parents think that buying their children all these game systems and uh, cell phones, that's proper parenting. But when it comes down to parent engagement by way of education, we're missing an action. So I, I hear exactly what you're saying, and I think you make a, a very interesting point. And just to hear that story about your, about your father and what some of those experiences were and that they didn't take no for an answer or they did not stop 
at the first sign of defeat. They went back the next year and they made something happen and they didn't make any excuses. So um, there's stories like that that I find empowering and encouraging, and we need to hear more of that. 718 718-508-9533. Folks, we have roughly about five minutes in the conversation here, and we've been talking about the issue of how can we rebuild a black family when you have issues as important as reading and black males here in this country by eighth grade are not reading at the grade level drew i want to bring you back in on the discussion real quick here um right here in chicago and certainly you hear the various news report here you know chicago has uh in some of the neighborhoods we have issues of violence in many of these neighborhoods and how, how do you think that the city of chicago if you will if you can just speak to this as briefly as you can how could they begin to address issues of violence when they have issues of literacy is there a connection to be be made by way of the uh, um, the the, uh, the flourishing of gangs in various cities and the issue of literacy among black males. Is there a case to be made or a connection between the two? There's, there's, certainly there's a correlation, but again, I never get distracted from the mission. The mission to me, and probably someone else will probably answer it, is that if you had families, you wouldn't have a gang problem. And what I'm going to suggest to anyone who wants to discuss this discuss this, to solve a problem, you have to talk about what the problem is and the peripheral things will throw you off. That's what it's designed to do, throw you off. You're always looking at something else. You're looking at boogeyman. You're not looking and being focused on the problem. So I'll tell you this, and I'll move it on real quick so, so Stephanie and someone else can get in. You know, uh, in, in all of your holy books, and I think I mentioned this the other week when I called in, they always say the poor is going to be a monster. When you have violence and things of that nature, that's what the system is here for, to handle people who become violent. What I want to focus on, if it was up to me, I am going to focus on, if you want to solve the problem, those young people who show attention and show a desire to try to learn. I'm focusing my efforts there, and that's what my conversation would be on because everything else distracts from trying to get back on point to solve the problem, to get us back in the game. Everything else is a distraction. I'm saving those that can be saved. The Chicago Police Department, the Detroit the Police Department can handle the criminals. I'll soon try to save our families. I think uh, that is uh, uh, another show topic as we talk about uh, who could be saved and uh, where should efforts be placed. Steph, I'm going to let you have the final word on today's conversation uh, we know that being poor does not mean helpless or hopeless so what can we do as concerned members to make sure black males become better readers and understand the importance of reading what's the take on that as we close out on today's conversation what we need to do is put more emphasis on not just just like Marissa said stop putting just people who are just barely getting by emphasis on making sure that people are actually physically learning what they need to know to survive. That's it. I mean, we just need to put more effort in making making our kids making our kids great. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. Folks, this hour has um, gone by rather um, quickly. Folks, we've had a very important conversation dealing with the question, dealing with the question of how can we begin to rebuild the black family if nearly 90%, you heard it folks, 90% of black males by 8th grade are not reading at grade level according to the National Assessment of Educational Progress. You've heard the various opinions um, of our callers uh, today. Um, and, and underlying, it seems like at the core of what's being said, again, it goes back to folks, um, our circle of influence, and that is what's taking place at the level of family, what's taking place at the level of family. Folks, each and every Sunday, 530, you can call in and get your thoughts, views, and opinions heard right here on MTAS Radio by calling 718-508-9533. Again, that's 718 Nine five three three, folks. Remember, MTAS is an organization. Talked about reading. We're an organization that encourages reading and intellectual enrichment. We believe that the community we live in is the community we create. I am responsible. You are responsible. We are able to respond. 
Folks, remember, you can log on to www.m-tas.org. Go to the resource tab. Get much-needed information about insurance. Call me directly, 773-881-9555 for all of your insurance needs, questions, and concerns. This hour has been brought to you by John Green, American Family Insurance. Folks, we're looking forward to speaking with you again next week, Sunday, 5.30 Central Standard Time. Continue to be good to yourself and good to your family. Take care now. Till next week.